Hey, I'm Stephen Billings, and thanks for checking out this message today. We're so glad you're here and would love to connect with you. You can text 97000 with the words River Connect to share any prayer requests or just to say hello. It would be so great to hear from you. Lastly, if you would like to give to the River Church today, you can give by texting the amount that you would like to give to 84321. You can also head to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the page as well. Thanks again for joining us, and I hope you have a blessed day. If you got a Bible, let's grab those together and open them up to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter number 1. It's there in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, I want to encourage you to uh, pull out your smartphone, and you can download a Bible app or the River Church app, and there is a Bible feature on there, but I want you to be following along and seeing God's Word for yourself. Colossians chapter number one. Last week, this week, and next week, a little mini-series in Colossians. And uh, from my heart to you is really challenging us to be a, uh, a praying church, a church that is praying together, a church, as we looked at last week, praying for those that do not know the Lord, so praying for the lost, praying for gospel opportunities, praying for opportunities, uh, whether that be at school or on campus or at the office or at the shop, praying for opportunities to share the gospel with family, uh, friends, neighbors, co-workers, and people that the Lord just brings onto our path. This week, we're going to be looking at the idea of gathering together. So here we are this morning, we're gathering together as the church, and we are worshiping the Lord. We are, as just we sang a moment ago, proclaiming that Jesus is worthy, that the Lamb of God is worthy, uh, and Jesus paid the penalty for our sins on the cross, that Jesus died, that he rose from the dead, that Jesus was the only way for us to be saved, and he was the only Lamb who was worthy uh, to come before the throne of God and make a way for sinners like you and I to be saved. And when we repent of our sins and believe in Jesus, his righteousness is put to our credit, and we borrow his righteousness, and we stand before God pure and holy and sinless because of what Jesus did for us. But in this gathering, a lot happens up front. And um, here I'm going to stand for the next 30, 40 90 minutes, and I won't be that long today. I'll stand in front. We, you know, the band leads in front. Chris leads us in worship up front, and a lot happens up front. But if we come to a gathering in the same way that we go to the movies, we're missing the point of a gathering. Yes, there's going to be a lot of stuff that happens up front, but we're gathering together as God's people, not just to um, observe, not just to be uh, part of an audience, but we are here to participate together. And to participate specifically, as we're going to look at here in a moment, Colossians uh, in prayer. So let's pick up in Colossians chapter number one, and we're going to read kind of just the intro here and get our bearings uh, in this letter. The scripture says in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So a pretty standard opening for a letter at this time. Who wrote it? Normally we would put that at the end, but in this time, in this culture, that would be at the beginning. Then who the letter is to so we know this is to the church that gathers in the city of Colossae. And Paul just says, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this, you have heard before the word of truth, before the word, excuse me, before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, 
our beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. So again, Paul is writing a letter here to people he's never met. And he has heard about them from essentially, I think we could say, and I think this would be true, their pastor, his name is Epaphras. And so Epaphras is with Paul, has come to visit him, and we think that Epaphras is going to bring back this letter or a messenger is going to bring back this letter. So there's been this hearing from Paul. Paul's heard about the love that this church has for him. Matter of fact, there's a guy in the church that Paul would write a very short letter to. His name was Philemon, and Paul would thank Philemon for praying for him. So there was, Paul is saying, hey, I know that you pray for me. I know that's part of your life. And so there was this mutual affection. But in most cases, Paul had never met these folks. And so he has heard about them. But look at what Paul says in verse number nine, even though he's never met these folks in person. He says, and so, from the day we heard, we heard about your love, we heard about your reception of the gospel, we heard that you, like other folks, the gospel is bearing fruit, that you are in allegiance to Christ Jesus, that you have a hope laid up in heaven for you, and that hope has produced a love in you. He says, ever since we've heard about this, verse 9, we have not ceased to pray for you. He hasn't met them. Information doesn't travel super fast here, so he doesn't know who's healthy or who's sick in the church. He is praying for these people because he's heard about their love for Jesus, their faithfulness to Christ, their hope laid up in heaven, and and the fact that they are praying for him. So there's this relationship, this kind of long-distance relationship but Christ has brought them together. So he says, since we've heard about this, we have not ceased to pray for you. Paul's not saying, hey, I've prayed 24-7, 365 about you specifically since the moment that I've heard about you. He's saying, essentially, in our vernacular, hey, guys, your name hasn't been crossed off my prayer list since I've heard about you. When I was growing up, we would have in our, what were called small groups at the time, we call them now growth communities. We had these little prayer cards. And this is way before cell phones, before you just write things down or text things out. And so you'd have these little prayer cards and you'd, you know, hand them out at the little Bible study. And then people would write down their prayer list and then you'd have a prayer partner and you'd exchange them for the week. And then you would take that prayer card and you'd put it in your Bible. And the goal was that you would pray for that person. And so just prayer card was at the top. Well, at the time in our church, there were needs that everyone was praying for. We were in the middle of a long-term building project, so the building project was on there. And so it was just printed onto the prayer card. Don't cease to pray for this because this is in, this is in, in, in need. But then right below that was the name of a young lady in our church who suffered just a catastrophic medical, I would say in many ways a mystery. There's actually a book written about it. And her name was printed on the card. Now, I happened to know her, but there were hundreds and hundreds of people in the church who had never met her before, but the name was printed on the prayer card, and we were praying for her. That's what Paul's saying. And and by God's grace, the, the story turned out God healed her miraculously. It was a wonderful thing. But there were months and months and months and months of prayer happening daily for this young lady's healing, for God to just do the miraculous. What Paul is saying, he's saying, listen, since I've heard about you, when I pray, I'm praying for you. I'm thinking about you. I'm bringing your name to the Lord. Now, please hear me. There's nothing wrong with praying for sick people to be healed. But if that is the totality of your prayer life, you're missing what you need to be praying for. Now, please hear me. I want to say this again. If you're sick, please come and tell me, I want to pray for you. If there's a medical struggle in your life, take that to the Lord. Do not feel any shame or any embarrassment or that that's a a second class kind of prayer that you can bring to the Lord. If, If you are not feeling well or there's an illness or a disease or something you're battling, bring that to the Lord. And we as a church need to commit to praying for sick people. But that cannot be the entirety of what we're praying for. 
And Paul here in Colossians chapter one says, listen, since we heard about what's going on with you, it's brought us great joy and we have not ceased to pray for you. Your, your name is there. When we think about praying, we're thinking about you. We're praying some specific things for you. So looking at verse nine, the passage continues. Paul says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. And here's what Paul is praying for them. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I'm going to continue to read, then we'll go back and kind of uh, slice this apart. Verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So what does Paul say? We've not ceased to pray for you, and here are the things that we are praying for you. The first one is there. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul's saying, we're praying that you will know what the will of God is. The will of God is. Now, sometimes we make that more of a mystery than the Bible does. And so I want to take you on a real quick journey. If you've got a pen and paper, you can write these down or you can put them in your phone. But we're going to look at what the Word of God says is the will of God. What does God want for your life? Particularly if you're a young man or young woman and you're maybe 18, 19, 20-something years old and you're looking, okay, what, what's God's will? What does he want me to do with my life? What does he want me to go to school? Who does he want me to marry? What job does he Where does he want me to live? All of those different questions can become overwhelming. And so the Word of God gives us several things that we know are building blocks, if you will, of what God's will is. So let's start in First Peter, or excuse me, Second Peter, Second Peter chapter 3. And again, if you don't want to turn to them, that's okay. You can just jot them down and look at them later. But we'll go through these relatively quickly. First Peter chapter number 3, verse number 9. When we talk about God's will, we're talking about what does God want you to be doing? What is God's purpose for your life? Verse number nine, the scripture says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This is the foundational truth of what God's will is for you. If you're wondering, what does God want you to do? The first answer is God's will is that you are saved, is that you are born again. Now, what do we mean by that? We're not talking about be religious. We're not talking about be a church person. We're not talking about be baptized. We're not talking about some of those things that have their their purposes and some biblical foundation. What we're talking about when it comes to God's will, the first thing is that you are born again. One of the greatest fears, and I would say for me, the greatest fear as being a pastor is that you would come in here week after week, sit here, sing the songs, read the word of God, and not be born again. It's it's the greatest fear for me as a pastor. Is that you would come here and maybe be encouraged. Come here and encounter the power of God, the, the Holy Spirit's movement around you and see people worshiping and be inspired by that, but would leave with a heart that is unchanged, unsaved. And so what, is the, what does it mean to be saved? Well, here, let's, let's just talk about the gospel very clearly. You and I were made in the image of God. Every person bears what's called the imago Dei in Latin, meaning we are stamped by our creator. We are made in the image of God. But we rebelled against God. Humanity rebelled against God, and we individually have rebelled against God, and we call that sin. We've sinned against the holy God. And so the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So there's this separation between a holy God who created us and loves us and between us who have sinned against God and rebelled against God. And there's this huge gap that cannot be bridged by human uh, effort or human religion or human supposed goodness. And so God in his infinite love for us sent his only son to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And Jesus rose from the dead. And what does Jesus do? Jesus 
paves a way for us to be back in fellowship with God. And so we can hear the good news of Jesus, but to be saved, we must respond to the good news of Jesus. We can know facts about Jesus, but if those facts haven't transformed us, we're not born again, we're not saved, we've not been renewed, we've not, we don't stand before God justified meaning we don't have a right standing before God. And so we know the good news of Jesus, but we must respond to the good news of Jesus. Now, I'm going to step on some toes here, but I need you to understand responding to the good news of Jesus, you will not find anywhere in the Bible where it says, ask Jesus into your heart. You won't find anywhere in the Bible it says, walk an aisle, fill out a card, come to an altar. You will see a call to repent and believe. Repentance means I was going this way. Sin was my master. I was my master. And I turned from my sin. And now Romans 10, 9 says, I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. Meaning this used to be my Lord. This used to be my pursuit. This used to be my passion. This used to be my fulfillment. This used to be how I lived my life. I was running this way and now I have turned from that and I'm confessing, Jesus, you're the boss. You're the king. You're the fulfillment. You're the one who satisfies. I I turn from this and I turn to you and I believe that you died and that you rose again. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So we can know about the death and resurrection of Jesus, but if we've never repented of our sins and believed in the resurrection, we're not saved. And one of the things that keeps me up at night, one of the things that haunts me is knowing that you will know the story or the historical fact about Jesus' death and resurrection, but you will leave here unchanged by that truth. Paul says, I want you to be aware of what the will of God is. The first foundational piece is that we are saved. Now let's look at one, two, three, four, five, six more. Holy smokes. My notes are short. They're much longer in my brain, apparently. I'm going to go through these quick, okay? So just jot these passages down. Ephesians chapter number 5. Ephesians chapter number 5. In verse number 17, Paul says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Drunkenness is not the will of God. So God's will is for us to be saved. God's will is for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. Verse number 3. What is the will of God? What does God want for you and me? 1 Thessalonians 4.3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual morality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Sometimes we make the will of God some mysterious, cryptic, kind of weird, I don't know what it is that's out there, but I'm waiting for the will of God to smack me in the head. Here's what you can know. The will of God is that you repent of your sins and you believe in Jesus. The will of God is that the Spirit of God fills your life. The will of God is that you are being sanctified, meaning you are running from sin. As a young man, I'd be like, man, I want to know the will of God, but I would not run from sin. And so being sanctified, fleeing from sin, is God's will. I'll give you just a couple more. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15 The will of God there is that we are submitting to authority. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, the will of God is that we are living sacrificial lives. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 17, the will of God is that we are faithful in suffering. And 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, the will of God is that we are thankful. Thankful. That's the will of God. Let's go back to Colossians chapter number one. Paul's not ceased to pray for these folks, but he's praying some specific things for them. First of all, he's praying 
that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. One commentator said it this way, it's to be completely filled, or another way we could say it, is to be completely and totally controlled. So what is filling you is what is controlling you. So Paul's saying, I want you to be filled with the, the wisdom and knowledge and understanding of God. I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will because that is what will come out. So it's the old adage, what you put in will come out. Look at Colossians chapter number three. It's about a mindset. It's about a mind transformed by Christ. Colossians chapter three, verse two. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Philippians chapter four, one of my my favorite. It should be just across the, the page there. Philippians chapter four, verse eight says this. Finally, brothers, whatever's true... Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So the dilemma with so many of us is that we are filling our minds with perverse things, with unholy things that we now call entertainment And it's the opposite of what the scripture is saying here in Philippians chapter 4. It's not true. It's not honorable. It's not just. It's not pure. It's not lovely. It's not commendable. There's no excellence in it. But those are the things we think about. And so here's what Paul is saying. If you take the passage, you kind of re-engineer it a little bit. What we're being filled with is what is coming out. So we live in a culture that's absolutely deplorable in entertainment, in conversation, in vernacular, and all these different things. So we're like... Well, that's what we're pumping into our minds, and that's what's coming out. What we're filled with is what is controlling us. So what's the scripture say? Be filled with the knowledge of the will of God in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This is spending time in God's word so that God can absolutely rewire and transform our minds. Godly things become instinctual. This last week, we had a major milestone in our family. We crossed the 50% barrier of drivers that we have to train. (laughs) Now, if you got little kids, I just want to warn you, teaching your kids to drive is a nightmare. It tests every bit of patience and love and commitment to Jesus. Maybe not you, but that I have. To the point of, I don't care if you drive. It was just difficult. So, man, Claire, pastor, drivers think it was wonderful. Bell pastors, and then Friday it was Mav. I'm not going to lie. I remember that, those moments in my life. I remember passing my driver's test the second time. Um, and it was very exciting. Little did I know that as a parent, I would be equally or more excited when my kids passed it. Because it means several things. Number one, we're done counting hours. Number two, I'm done leaving to go pick up stuff. I want pizza. I don't need Grubhub. I got it built in in my house, man. It's fabulous. I'm like, goodbye. Uh, you know what I'm in the mood? Yep, I'm in the mood for that. Go ahead and get that. Well, Dad, I don't want to do that. Well, you live in my house. Uh, uh, here it is, right? So there's several things. But you're just, I'm just excited about it. Well, one of the things is teaching, teaching them to drive is they have to think about everything. Right? You and I, if, if you're my age or older, you've been driving for a long time. You don't have to think about stuff anymore. It just starts to become instinctual with things. I say to my kids, you know, you've you got to think through everything you're doing, and over time that will become an instinct for you. Mab did pass his driver's test, praise the Lord. Uh, so it was great. And then he got pizza for us last night, which was awesome. But it becomes instinct. Sometimes the Lord will give you these little encouragements that following him, acting like him is becoming instinct. And it's really cool. 
Uh, like this week, I had two reminders, two encouragements for me uh, that the Lord had used me in different ways. One of them I didn't even remember. Jen and I ran into this couple, and she was like, oh, you did this, you did this, you did this. I go, I don't remember doing that at all. And it was just kind of awesome. I thought, well, Lord, that's cool. That was just an instinct. I didn't have to think about doing that. Another one was yesterday, and I thought, okay. And it's awesome when you can see the results of the Lord reshaping your mind and your heart and your instincts. Now, let me say this. I'm a long way from where I need to be, a long way from being sanctified and, and walking with the Lord, but it was an encouragement to me to see that. What the passage is saying here, Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, is Paul saying, I'm praying that you'll be filled with the knowledge of the will of God in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, meaning you've spent so much time with the Lord, you've spent so much time with the word that it started to reshape the way you think, the way that you react, the way that you interact with people. It's become instinct. The word wisdom is used there. One of my favorite prayers in the Bible is in James chapter 1, verse 5. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. So maybe you're in a season right now where you're, you're parenting teenagers or you're parenting preschoolers or you're a parent to adult children or there's difficulty in your marriage or your work. Maybe the economy or whatever it is is causing you stress and anxiety and you, you have these questions in your mind. The prayer is to go to God and ask for wisdom. Be filled with his wisdom an understanding of what his will is. So we go to God and we ask him to continue to shape us and conform us. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. Paul says, I, I, I'm asking that you'll be filled with the will of God, spiritual wisdom and understanding. Look at the building block here, this first phrase in verse 10, so as to, meaning so that. So, What's on the inside will come out in the way that we walk. Now, when the New Testament uses the word walk here, it's not talking about the way we move our legs in forward or backward motion. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about our life. Look at Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 6. Paul says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Chapter 3, in verse number 7, Paul says, and he's, he's listing some things that they used to do, they used to be like, in verse 7, in these you too once walked. This is how you live. This is the direction you were moving. Chapter 4, in verse number 5, Paul says, walk in wisdom. So several times in the scripture, he'll use this phrase, walk in a manner worthy. So in Ephesians chapter 4, in Philippians chapter 1, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So this is what the Bible is saying here, and this is Paul's prayer for the church. He's like, I'm not, I've not ceased to pray this for you. I want you to be filled with a, a, a knowledge and an understanding of what the will of God is, and that will so fill your life that that will be how you live. So here's what the truth is. What you're filled with will come out. We sang the song a moment ago. I'll mention it again. We sang, worthy is the lamb. Does your life, does my life demonstrate to people around us that Jesus is worthy? Or is Jesus just a nice addition? Is Jesus just an inspiration? Does Jesus provide a nice social community for us? Or does the way we live our life, the way we spend our money, the things that we pursue, the way we spend our time, does that declare to the world that Jesus is worthy? Because if we're filled with a, an understanding, a wisdom, a passion for the things of God, guess what? We're going to walk differently. 
We're going to live differently. The the things we're going to pursue, the goals we're going to set, the way we're going to spend our money will be radically different than the world because we're declaring that Jesus is worthy. So how we live shows what we value. What do you value? I think a lot of us value comfort. Ease. Do we live in a manner that shows the worthiness of Christ? Paul's praying for them that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Verse 10. What does that produce? That produces a life, a walk that is worthy of the Lord. You notice it's internal first, not external first. Religion will modify the outside. A relationship with Jesus will transform the inside and then change the outside. It's much easier to try to create a system of rigid rules I mean, Paul will actually say that, uh, look at chapter 2 and verse number 23. He's talking about rules and regulations. He says, these have indeed the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and ascentism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So that's what religion often does. Religion will create these rules and it stay within this box. We would call that legalism in some circles. What does the gospel do? The gospel starts by transforming our minds, transforming our hearts. So the way we think, the things that we desire, then the outside starts to change. Then the behavior on the outside starts to be transformed. So if the behavior on the outside is a problem, guess where you know the problem really is? On the inside. That's why Jesus said to the Pharisees, you can wash the outside all you want, but it's the inside that needs to be purified. He said, you're a whitewashed tomb. The outside looks beautiful. Inside is still a rotting corpse. You didn't change that. And so what do we need? We need a transformation on the inside so that the outside, the way that we walk, the way that we live our life, the way that we talk is transformed. So what do we do? We spend time with God's word. And it begins to fill our hearts and our minds. We set our minds on things that are above. We start to walk differently. And it shows, and then it begins to be a life that is lived in a manner worthy of the Lord. Look at verse 10. So is to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. So here's the prayer. I want you to be transformed inside so that the outside changes. And guess what that will do? That will please the Lord. That, that will bring pleasure to the Lord. That honors the Lord. Well, then the scripture gives multiple things here that will be pleasing to the Lord. Look at the passage, verse 10. So pleasing the Lord, what pleases him? That you bear fruit in every good work. So you bear fruit by doing good deeds. Again, what does religion often do? Religion addresses deeds. Do this, do this, do this. Don't do these things. Well, you did one of those things. You got to do extra of these good things. So it becomes this long list, ever moving of the do's and don'ts. What's the gospel? internal transformation, external change, that pleases God, and some things start to show. First of all, you bear fruit. Hold your spot there, and I'll give you this passage of Scripture in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter number 1. You can go back, I would encourage you, go back and read this passage after we get done this afternoon, and you'll see the building blocks here. I I, I love this passage of scripture. 
And I recognize I say that about every passage of Scripture. This is my favorite. This is my favorite. I love this one. As, as we're going to go to a Bible verse, I, go, I really hate this one, everybody. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number, 2 Peter chapter 1. No, this is my favorite. No, 1 Peter. No, I'm kidding. 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. For this reason, so because of the gospel, for this reason, make every effort. So here it is. It's, it's the Lord's work, but we're working with him. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. So, so excellence. And virtue with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with steadfastness. And steadfastness with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So go back to Colossians chapter number one. Internal transformation changes the way we live externally. That pleases the Lord. Well, what pleases the Lord about that type of life is that we will be bearing fruit. We'll, we'll have a fruitful life. And particularly here in this passage in Colossians 1, it's talking about the fruit of good works. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 5. Let your light shine before others. Well, that's, that's a cool idea. It's more than just a little song, this little light of mine. It's let your light shine before others that they may see your good works. Ephesians, Paul says you were created in Christ Jesus for good works. So some of us mess this up and go, okay, I got to do a bunch of good works so I can please God. No, 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 back up. The gospel transforms us. We're filled with the knowledge of his will, wisdom, understanding of who he is. That fills us, that comes out in the way we live, and that pleases God. And what that starts to do is create those instincts. So we start to do good deeds, not because we're like, oh, I should probably do this good deed today. <sighs> I haven't done one this week. I should probably get one done. It becomes instinctual when we start to care for people and we start to love people. That's when the fruit of the Spirit starts to happen and we didn't even realize it. Love, joy, peace, patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We start to live a fruitful life. It begins to display itself in good deeds. That pleases the Lord. Look at verse 10. It continues. What else pleases the Lord? Bearing fruit, increasing in the knowledge of God. So a faith that is maturing. If your Bible understanding or your understanding of the Lord is the exact same as it was when you were a little kid, something's wrong. Now, yes, have a childlike faith. But if you've not been digging into the word of God, growing in your knowledge and understanding of God, that's not pleasing to the Lord. Across our church, here, this location and the other eight locations, I found out this week we have uh, over 130 growth communities. So what is that? That's an opportunity for you to gather together with other believers, pray together, study the Bible together, and grow in your knowledge of who God is. That pleases the Lord. Look at verse 10. So bearing fruit pleases the Lord. Increasing in the knowledge of God grows, uh, uh, pleases the Lord. Verse 11 it says, may you be strengthened or being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. This, this is a fabulous passage of scripture here. So it's my favorite. Uh, I'm just kidding. Now I'm just being an idiot. Be strengthened. Well, look at what the power of God, the glory of God is strengthening us to do. Kent Hughes says it this way. You'll see the word endurance, and you'll see the word patience. Endurance is a reference to circumstances. Patience is a reference to difficult people. So what does God do? God strengthens us for circumstances, and God gives us patience for people. I don't know about you. I need both. Where does that come from? 
That comes from the power of God. So look at this prayer. This is a prayer from the Apostle Paul for people. And sometimes what happens, by the way, Paul doesn't know if the circumstances are bad or good in Colossians. He's only heard good things. So it's not like, oh man, I got bad reports. I heard things are falling apart. Just so you know, the moment I heard everything started going bad, that's when I started praying for you. He says, no, I, I heard, as soon as I heard the good news about you, you know what I started doing? I started praying. Sometimes what do we do? Like, oh, everything's going good for that person. I don't have to pray for them. I'll pray for this person. They got bad things going on. The point of the passage is to be an intentional prayer for one another. Intentional prayer. I think if you're a, you're a mom or a dad in here or a grandma or grandpa, this ought to be a prayer for you for your children every single day. Think about it. For your kids, for your grandkids, maybe for a spouse. I, I just, I didn't stop praying for them. They never got crossed off my prayer list. So you know what? I've been praying for them. I've been praying that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You know what I've been praying for? I'm praying that that internal understanding of the Lord will transform the way they walk and they'll live a life worthy of the Lord. And they will please the Lord. And you know what they'll do? That they'll bear fruit and they'll increase in the knowledge of the Lord. And they'll be strengthened through circumstances and through difficult people. That's an intentional, biblical prayer. That's, that's, that's more radical than I think we, we pray. Often our prayers can just be simply, thank you, Lord, for this food. It's been a good day. Amen. Or, Lord, I just got pulled over. Please don't let me get a ticket. And there's nothing wrong with crisis prayer. But you know what this passage of Scripture is? This passage of Scripture is a call for God's people to be seriously praying for one another. The passage continues. We'll try to wrap it up here. Verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father. So... One commentator divided up between there's petitions, meaning there's asking God for things, and then there's times in the prayer where there's praise. Look at verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who did what? Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What does the prayer do? The prayer is God-centered. God, you're the source. God, you're what I need. God, you have all the wisdom, and I need that to fill me. I need that to transform me because my mind is broken my heart is broken. The things that I want, the things that I think are broken, Lord, so I need you to come in. I need you to fix this mess that I am. That will change the way I react to my spouse. That will change the way I react to my kids. That will change the way I interact with my neighbors. That will change this habit that I've been struggling with, Lord. It's not about putting these fences or these rules. I need you to change me, Lord, so that I live differently because I want to please you. And what pleases you is a fruitful life is increasing in the knowledge of God, is strength to endure difficult circumstances, difficult people, and I give you thanks, God. See the full circle back to what Jesus did. He did what? He delivered us from the domain of darkness. Meaning before you were saved, you weren't just kind of a bad person. Before you were born again, you weren't just on the fence. Before you were born again, you weren't just kind of a distant friend of God, like, ah, I talked to him once in a while, I think we'll be okay. The Bible says that we were part of the domain of darkness. Jesus says to the religious people, 
He says, you do the will of your father. And they're like, well, yeah, of course we do. And he goes, your father is the devil. And they go, yeah, we're going to kill you. Because what did he do? He ripped open the curtain that was concealing the sinfulness in their own hearts. Not out of hatred, but out of mercy and love because Jesus wanted to save them. So Jesus delivered us from the domain of darkness. And what did he do? He transferred us. So he rescued us from the slave master of sin and, and he transported us. There's a beautiful imagery in that phrase. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us out of that and into the kingdom of his beloved son. And guess what? In whom we have the redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Jump over to Colossians chapter number two in verse 14. Here it is, the gospel celebration again. Verse 13, and you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Sometimes we want to play this negotiation with God, like, God, my sin isn't that bad. I didn't kill anybody. I'm not a mass murderer. I didn't do any of that. Can't you just get over this sin? And that insults the holiness of God, the worthiness of God. So what does God do? Because he is both holy and just and loving, he sends Christ. And he is able to cancel the record of debt that stood against me. Man, that's a record. I know it real well. And if you know Christ, you know yours too. It's terrifying. My record is damning. But here's the gospel. This is what allows us to go to God and be transformed and get to a place of pleasing God and living a fruitful life. Verse 14 This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, in Christ. So what is this? This is the the devil and his whole group that knows your record of sin and my record of sin. And so it kind of has this image of the devil coming into the courtroom with stacks and stacks of evidence against you and me. And there we are sitting going, oh, they know everything. Oh, wow. They got my whole life. And so they can prosecute me and they can find me guilty because I am guilty. And Jesus says, oh, no, 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 (laughs) sorry. None of that evidence is admissible because I I took that. uh, My father took that. And with me, he nailed that to the cross. You can't use any of that evidence anymore. Those sins have been forgiven. That is why we worship the Lord. Not because we're good or moral people, but because we were wretched sinners part of the domain of darkness and God in his grace and his mercy reached out in love and rescued us. And if we do not grasp the gravity and the awesomeness of the gospel, sometimes I wonder if we even know it at all. Like how can we hear the good news of Jesus and leave here like, that was a little long today. Maybe you're here and you know Christ. And you're not spending the time in his word that you ought to. And so you're being filled with all of these other things. The word of God is being choked out in your life. And today is the day that you need to repent of that. Maybe you're here and you don't know Christ. And today is the first time you've heard the gospel. Maybe you've been in, in, a, in a church gathering before. You've heard preaching or whatever it might be. But today is the first time that the good news of Jesus has pierced into your heart. And you're hearing, oh my goodness, I'm a sinner condemned by a holy God. And that same God has made a way for me to be saved. A way for me to be forgiven. 
And in this gathering, it'll be the, the day, the time, whether you're sitting here, you're watching online, the time where you turn from your sin, you repent of your sin, and you believe in Jesus, and you're born again today. Maybe you're a believer, and you just hear the gospel, and you're so excited to celebrate what the Lord has done because your sins have been forgiven and you've been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of, of Jesus and your sins have been forgiven and you stand there as a, a child of God, a son of God, a daughter of God, celebrating what God has done for you in Christ. That's why we sing every week. Because we're celebrating the gospel and we're celebrating how Jesus has transformed us. But I want to say this. We'll never be accomplishing here together what God wants us to unless we're praying that for each other. I don't know that passage by heart. So if I wanted to pray that for you, I'd have to open to Colossians chapter 1 and I'd have to open one eye while we pray. I'm just kidding. I'd have to open the Bible and pray that. Let me pray this for you. In a moment, I'm going to pray. The band's going to come and we're going to sing. Please hear me. Some of you have things to do, so you got to go. It's okay. we will miss what really gathering as the church means if we're not praying together. Meaning, so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing, and then we'll dismiss, and then we'll hopefully go home and watch the lions go 2-0, and oh, right? <laughs> but if we run out the door without stopping and saying, hey, can I pray with you? You got anything specific? You got any things going on? It may be general. All right, can I just pray for you? I just want to pray that the Lord would fill your life and that the evidence of God's transforming power would show itself in the way that you're a student this week. I want to pray that the Holy Spirit's power will transform the way that you're a mom this week or you're a dad this week or you're a sibling this week. I want to pray that for you. And then we look at each other and we say, um, I'm committed to praying that for you every day this week. Hey, and let's connect next Sunday. I want to hear how your week went. That will be gathering with the church. Let's pray together.